Thank you for choosing to be here. You came at the beginning of a new series we're calling Edom, and we're going to study the story of the Edomite people, the nation of Edom, how it was founded, where it came from, and what decisions they made that ended up leading to their eventual ruin. It is an incredible story. And I know kind of hearing the title, Edom, the pathway to ruin or the path to ruin, almost seems depressed a bit. But it is a fascinating study, a historical study, that I think will have incredible practical application as this series unfolds. Today, primarily, our focus is going to be on the historical foundings of the nation of Edom and ultimately even the nation of Israel. And I think it's very fitting that we would study the origins of a nation on a weekend that we celebrate the founding of our own nation, our declaration of independence, us declaring that we want the freedom as a nation that we were operating in uh, as a new-founded territory, new-founded country. And so I, I love the fact that this, this weekend we can study the origins of several other nations as well. And I just want to say on a personal note, as a citizen of this United States of America, and I am so thankful that there were, there were, there were those founders, those, those men who had the courage to say, we declare our independence. There is nothing that God has given us in terms of gifts that is greater than our freedom. He created us free. And I'm so thankful that, that those before us had the courage to declare their independence, but also to have the courage to stand up to fight for that independence. I am so thankful for the sacrifice that has been made on our behalf, that we get to do this in freedom today. I'm thankful for that as a United States citizen today. And so let's spend some time talking today about about history. Now, what I recognize about a, a talk like this, a message like this, is that you know we can get a little bit lost in the significance of studying history. And so I just want to say from the onset this morning that when we talk about the history of, of, of this nation of Edom, we need to set it in its right context in order for us to understand why the events unfolded as they did that led to the eventual ruin of the nation of Edom. It is a fascinating study. And so we're going to study primarily in the book of Obadiah. Obadiah is found in the Old Testament, and Obadiah is called a minor prophet. And uh, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament, just 21 verses long, but it is incredibly powerful. Don't think for a moment that just because there's 21 verses that it's insignificant. It is very significant. Um, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to look for, with me for just a moment at the very first verse in uh, uh, Obadiah. It is verse 1. Now, we're going to look at this verse. This is one half of one verse of Obadiah. That's all we're going to get done today. We have 21 verses. That's like 42 weeks of a series. So this is going to take some time to unfold. So just stay with me, okay? No, one half of one verse today, then it'll pick up a whole lot over the next few weeks, okay? But let's set Obadiah and the story in its context. Verse 1, the first part of verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. So so notice what Obadiah begins this letter by saying. Obadiah says that he saw a vision 
from God. It's often true in the, in the, in the, in the life of a prophet that they would see a revelation from God and then they would say or speak that revelation or write that revelation down. So oftentimes you see in kind of in, in, in prophecy, you see a, a, a vision, the seeing, and then ultimately the saying. That's just kind of the nature. You see that in Jeremiah and Isaiah. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. He, he, he said, woe to me, I'm a sinful man. He sees before he says. That's the nature of prophecy. Now, for those of you who might be new to church or new to studying the Old Testament, you might be wondering, well, what is prophecy in the first place? Prophecy has basically two components. Prophecy is, is um, foretelling and foretelling. It is declaring what is actually true now. And then oftentimes it's coupled with declaring something that will be true in the future. So when we say the word prophecy, we're either saying that there is a declaration of truth now or that the, that, that the prophecy is speaking of things to come. Isaiah, I mean, uh, Obadiah gives us a picture of both. He tells us about current events and he, de- and he declares for us things to come. So Obadiah sees a vision. Who, is, who, does he, who does he see the vision from or where does the vision come from? It comes from the sovereign Lord. Now we're going to learn this today as we see this story unfold. But it is God himself who wants to speak to a nation the Edomite people. He's also going to speak about Israel in this, in, this, uh, in this story, but he wants to give a message, a word to the Edomites. And notice who it is that speaks. It's the sovereign, the Lord, the creator of humanity, the creator of nations, which we'll see in just a couple of minutes. All right, now, I'm going to give you a little bit of history lesson to set Obadiah in its context even more specifically. And for some of you, this will be like review, and you've heard this a few times, but it's quite possible there's some of you in the room that you never, ever, ever put together how the Old Testament fits together or how Israel as a nation, or Edom for that matter, as a nation came to be. So for the next couple of minutes, let me just take a trip with you down history's lane. Now, I want you to think about the, the book Obadiah. Obadiah... Uh, was written during the times of the history of the nation of Israel. But let's understand how all that fits together. If If you've never studied the Old Testament, you need to know that the Old Testament is made up of 39 books. There are 66 total in the Bible, front to back, Genesis to Revelation, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Those 39 books are not just a chronological telling of past events. But they're arranged in a very specific way. Let's, let's find out how they're arranged. So first of all, we have the law. It's called the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy make up the law or the Pentateuch. Penta 5, took books. Pentateuch, the law, the Torah. And this, basically, these books cover the origins of the universe, the origins of life, the origins of a covenant of God with people through Abraham and the founding of the nation of Israel and other nations, which we'll see. And then it covers the, 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 the founding of a nation, the nation coming out of captivity, and a law being given about how a nation should conduct itself. That's the Torah or the law. After that, we have the books of history. The historical books give the storyline of the founding of the nation of Israel and the events that that transpired in the nation of Israel um, uh, um, uh, uh, 
in, 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 in history. And so Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So if you were reading the Old Testament and you arrived at Esther, you would arrive at the end of the historical line of Israel. After that, we have what's called wisdom literature or poetic literature. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. These, this is a different genre of writing. This is, this is going to be wisdom literature. It's going to be poetic in nature. And these books fit basically within the historical time frame of the nation of Israel. After that, you have your major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And these prophets who wrote these books wrote within the timeline of the historical books that we just looked at. They wrote during the time of the events of the nation of Israel. And then after that, the final section of the Old Testament is called Minor Prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, you can see in the Minor Prophets we have Obadiah. That's where he fits in the storyline. Obadiah is called a Minor Prophet. And sometimes people look at the minor prophets and think they are less significant than the major prophets because they are called the minor prophets, but they are not. The reason why they're called minor prophets is because they are, are, are not as long in terms of the letters or the books that they wrote. So generally speaking, the major prophets wrote longer letters, had longer prophecies and visions, and the minor prophets had, uh, uh, wrote shorter letters. But don't miss this. Minor does not mean insignificant. What you're going to see is significant in the 21 verses that we're going to cover. Okay, so Obadiah is a minor prophet. Now, Obadiah says this is a a vision and it's given to Edom. Who is Edom? I'm glad you asked. I know you're dying to know. Who is this? Edom has an incredible story. Let me take you back to Genesis again. Remember, Genesis is the story of origins. Origins of the universe, origins of life, origins of a covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham that he wanted to raise up a nation through Abraham's lineage and that all nations on earth would be blessed through Abraham. And so Abraham and God were in covenant relationship. Abraham had Isaac. Now, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. She was not able to have a child. And so through a miraculous intervention from God, God miraculously brought about the ability for Sarah to conceive and she brought forth a child, Isaac. It wasn't Abraham's only son. There was also Ishmael. There are two nations even in that story. There's the nation of Israel that comes from Isaac and the, uh, the uh, Middle Eastern population, the Muslim world through Ishmael. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Again, it's an interesting storyline. It may be a good message one day to preach, but Abraham, uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, is barren. Isaac's wife, Rebecca, is also barren through a miraculous intervention from God. God sovereignly superseded this process to, make, to, be, to allow Rebecca to be pregnant and therefore in her womb at the same time, not just one baby, but two twins. You can read the story starting in somewhere around in Genesis 25 all the way to Genesis 36 is kind of the storyline I'm going to give you just very quickly. But in her womb, um, Rebecca feels a wrestling around. Now, I've never experienced this before. I have no idea what it's like to feel pregnant and feel a baby in your womb. And I, Some of you had twins and triplets, and I'm like, that's, 
that's amazing, and I, I'm glad you get to do that and not me. That's, that's like weird inside there. I have put my hand on my wife's belly. You know, all three kids felt the baby move, and that was crazy. Um, but, but in her womb, Rebecca, in her womb, there's a, there's a wrestling going on. There's a turmoil going on, and she's wondering what in the world is going on in my belly. Right? And a word from God comes, and the word from God is this. There are two in your womb. There are two nations in your womb. And then a prophetic word from God. And the younger will rule over the older. The older will serve the younger. And I love this story. Because I'm the baby. Yes, the younger child wins. I love it. Right? So I, uh, 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 Isaac's wife, Rebecca, gives birth during the birth, an incredible thing, incredible thing happens. Esau comes out first. Esau is reddish, and, and this is scripture, and looks like a hairy garment. <laughs> My mind just runs with that. I'm like, that is, that is crazy talk, right? It uh, comes out. On the heel of Esau is Jacob. Jacob, the word Jacob, Esau means red. Jacob literally means one who grasps the heel or one who deceives. I don't know how this works. I don't know how this actually worked. But I'm just thinking about it. Here comes Esau. Here comes Jacob. Isn't that amazing? These two men grow up. Esau is rugged. He's the hunter. He's the fisherman. He's the outdoorsman. He's a man's man. He spends his time outdoors. He hunts for the family. He collects for the family. He provides for the family outdoors. Jacob is a mama's boy. Now, I like Jacob because I'm a mama's boy. I can relate to Jacob as the younger child. Jacob stays around the house. He learns to do things around the house. He takes care of the home. He learns to cook. He learns to provide in those ways. One day, Esau goes out in the field. He's famished. He is starving. He comes back in. Jacob had prepared a meal. It was red stew. Esau desperately needs some food. He is so famished, so, so starving, that he's willing, he's willing to give up something that he is rightfully his in order to have this bowl of red stew. If you were here the very first Sunday of our calendar year in January, Andy Stanley gave us a message about Jacob and Esau and what all um, Esau gave up. He gave up his birthright. As the firstborn, there were certain things that he was given, but he gave that up. He sold that for a bowl of red stew. And in parentheses, in that story in Genesis, um, uh, uh, Esau gets the nickname Edom. Now, Jacob receives the birthright for a bowl of stew. Bad trade. Esau begins to despise Jacob, but it gets worse. After a number of years pass, Isaac Isaac becomes very sick. He knows he's about to die. And before he dies, he knows he needs to bless his, his favorite child, which was Esau. Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loves Jacob. And so Isaac asked Esau, to meet with him. And he says to Esau, son, go out 
Prepare me a meal like you know that I love. Bring it back. After I eat, I will bless you. Rebecca overhears this conversation. Remember, Jacob, Rebecca's favorite child, the youngest child. Rebecca goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, Jacob, listen, I know what's getting ready to happen. Hear me. You're not going to understand it all. I get it. But I'm going I'm to go get, go get something. Go get, go get a goat. Go get a sheep. Go, go get his favorite meal. Bring it here. I'm going, to, I'm going to prepare it for you. And then listen, listen. We're going to bring this meal to Isaac. He can't hear very well. He can't see very well. He's not going to know the difference. I'm going, to, I'm going to allow you to get the blessing that Esau should get. And so Jacob is worried. What if he figures this out? And, she, and so <laughs> I love the story. Rebecca goes all out. She creates this, this hairy covering over his arms and over his body. <laughs> it's just weird. And, uh, and so, so he brings this meal. He sets before his father. He says to him, here's the meal you've provided or you, you want. And Isaac said, it sounds like Jacob's voice, but it feels like Esau. Are you Esau? And Jacob said, of course I am because Jacob's the deceiver, the one who grasped the heel. Isaac blesses him. He speaks about the, the land in which he will possess, the greatness of that land, how it will produce new wine and, and grapes. And, and, he, and, he, and he says to him that you will rule over your siblings and over your brothers. Uh, and so he receives this blessing from Isaac. Now Esau is coming back about this point. Jacob leaves the room. Esau comes back. He's prepared the meal. He's got the real hairy arms, the real Esau voice. He goes before Isaac and he says, here's the meal. I'm ready to provide this and receive your blessing. And, and Isaac's like, wow, wait, whoa, I already met with you once. I already blessed you. And Esau said it wasn't me. At that point, they both realized that they had been deceived by Jacob, the deceiver. Esau is furious. Esau wants a blessing from Isaac and said, do you have anything left to give me? And basically, Isaac's blessing over Esau is that you will live in the wilderness. (laughs) Uh, You will live in the rugged mountains. It's really, really, really a kind of an empty blessing. Esau is now furious. Jacob stole his birthright. Jacob stole his blessing. Esau makes this declaration. Isaac, my dad, is about to die. We will let him die. I will mourn for him. But when I'm done mourning, I'm going to kill my brother. We call that sibling rivalry. You think it's bad in your home. This is like as bad as it gets. Again, here comes Rebecca to the rescue. Rebecca finds out. Jacob's mom, Jacob and Esau's mom, that Esau is planning to kill Jacob. He, she says to Jacob, Jacob, you need to flee. You need to run. You need to go to your Uncle Laban's house, spend some time there. Jacob flees and goes to Uncle Laban's house. He spends 14 years or so working there, and he actually ends up marrying two different women, Leah and Rachel. He loves Rachel more than Leah, but he gets fooled. He gets deceived. Ha ha. Karma, although we don't believe in karma, that's something pagan, all right? But turnabout's fair play. We, we, we see this story unfolding, and, and, and now Jacob is married. He's in, a, he's in a distant country. He's married to Leah and Rachel. And, and I don't understand all this, and this is a little bit weird to me, so don't, I can't figure it all out myself. But he's allowed to marry Leah and Rachel, and then he also has Leah and Rachel's maidservants. And so all these, these, these collection, I mean, not collection, but these, these <laughs> terrible words. <laughs> Terrible word. This, these, 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 these individuals that he's connected with. And so through those relationships, it's twisted and weird, and I get all that. But through those relationships, Jacob has 12 sons. Here are those sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Those would be called the 12 tribes 
not of Jacob, because Jacob's name would eventually be changed to Israel, but the 12 tribes of Israel. And there is the formation of the nation of Israel. Esau goes his separate way. Esau also marries multiple women and has multiple maidservants available to him. Again, I don't understand it all. I don't live in that world and that culture, but that's the nature and the time of the culture. And Esau also has children as well. He doesn't have 12. He has 15. There's no way I'm going to attempt to read all those to you because I don't know all the names and the pronunciations and I don't want to embarrass myself this morning. These children will form not the nation of Esau, but his nickname, Edom. These 15 become Edomites. Now, Jacob and Esau still do not like each other very much. They grow up, become very powerful in and of themselves. They have a a, a meeting along the way. There is some reconciliation. They go their separate ways. And these two nations begin to form. What scripture reveals to us is that Esau, the Edomites, developed a, 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 a structured nation before the Israelites. That there were kings in Edom before there were kings in Israel. So far, so good. One more piece of history so you can understand what Obadiah is writing or who he's writing to. Edom becomes a nation. You'll see where that territory is in just a moment. At the same time, Israel is becoming a nation. Now go back to the list of of Jacob for just a moment. Joseph is the favorite child of Jacob. I can relate. (laughs) It's true. My parents are in the room. They raised their hand on that. It's good. The other brothers hate Joseph because of this. They despise the relationship they have, or Jacob has with Joseph. They sell Joseph into slavery, into Egypt. Joseph spends a number of years in Egypt uh, uh, feeling like he is forgotten, feeling like that, that, that God has forgotten him, not understanding all that's taking place in his life. And God is sovereignly at work allowing Joseph to be planted there. Eventually, he rises to second in command in Egypt. And eventually, all of Jacob's family is moved into Egypt. In Egypt, this family grows and flourishes. They become a very, very vast number of people. Uh, You can read the book of Exodus. They finally make their way out of Exodus and into the promised land. You can read that story in Joshua. And eventually, they ask for a king. You can read that story in First and Second Samuel. Israel now, like the Edomites develop a formal structure where they are no longer under a theocracy under God, but now they're under a a monarchy, under a king. And so there is a series of kings. Do you know the series? Who was the first king? Saul, then David, then Solomon. After Solomon, the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, split. They split. Ten tribes Split off to the north. They make up the northern uh, kingdom called Israel. 
Two tribes break off to the south. It's called Judah. The tribe of Judah and Benjamin make up Judah. The other ten make up Israel. That is the split that takes place. There are 19 kings that would reign in Israel. All of them were called wicked in Scripture. None of them righteous before God. There are 19 kings that would reign in the historical timeline of Scripture uh, uh, over Judah. Some of them were good. Many of them were not. There was also one queen during that process in time. Now, how does this look geographically on a map? If you were to go back in time and see this out, carry itself out or play itself out on a map, I don't know how well you can see this, but here is the kingdom of Israel, the northern ten tribes. The southern two tribes would be here, and they would hold the capital, which was Jerusalem. Just below that is where Esau would have made his, his way. This is called the land of Seir during, uh, during uh, the book of Genesis. This is the kingdom of Eden just south of Judah. This is modern day Jordan and possibly even a little bit of Saudi Arabia, but modern day Jordan. And this is the, the backdrop of how this land, this geography would have laid itself out during the writing of Obadiah. Now, why is that important for you to know? I know you're wondering, why did I come to church this morning? Jacob and Esau and the nations that would form would fight constantly all throughout Israel's history. I'll tell you more about that next week. But this was a constant, constant problem. But here's what's fascinating. As much turmoil as you see in the storyline, God was sovereignly at work. Now, if there's any takeaway this morning as we set this book in its historical context, if there's any takeaway, if there's any reason you would want to write something down, I would want you to write this phrase down. That God is sovereign and he is actively involved in human history. God is sovereign and he is actively involved in human history. Why is that important to know? Because all throughout Scripture, one of the, one of the clear understandings of the, of the nature of the sovereignty of God is that he raises up nations and he brings down nations. Look in Daniel chapter 2, Psalm chapter 65, John chapter 19, and Romans chapter 13. And in each of these contexts, you will see God is one who raises up and who tears down. And we see that unfolding in literal history, the forming of the nation of Israel and the forming of the nation of Edom. And God has a word all throughout the Old Testament for Israel, but God in Obadiah has a word for Edom. (laughs) Namely, the sovereign Lord is about to speak. And if I speak, you should listen. One of the mistakes I think people make, it's true in even our world today, is that we miss that when God speaks, we should listen. He is sovereign. And he's not a distant deistic God, but he is a personal theistic God that is actively involved in the rising and falling of nations in even our world today. Yes, God is still very much involved in that. And you would say, I still don't know why I showed up today. And this is why you showed up today. First of all, to understand the nature of this development of a nation, but to also understand this, listen, God is not just involved at the nation-building level. Hear me. God is involved at the personal level. Have you ever felt like, have you ever felt like that God might be like forgetting to put you on his calendar? You ever felt like that? Like, 
At one point in my life, I felt clear. I felt, I, felt, I felt like God was clear. I felt like things were working. But at this season, it looks like God just said, I'll put you on hold for a while and I'll get back to you because I'm busy doing some other stuff. Have you ever felt like that before? Okay, if I'm alone in that, this message was totally not for you. But if by chance you ever felt like that, then, then just hold on for another second. We're done. I'll tell you a quick story. Ten years, almost to the exact day that we started Solace Church, 10 years, almost to the month, to the day, almost. We moved into this new building. It's a lovely building. It was so amazing to work, to, make, to, 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 to be active and involved and to be invested in, 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 in allowing our church to get to a place where we had the resources and the manpower and all the people in place to be able to build this. It was an incredible part of the journey. And, and listen, when we reached 10 years and we moved into this new location, I absolutely loved it and absolutely hated it. <laughs> Do you know why? Because we reached a place in our church where all of my time and all of my attention was preaching and teaching and building and getting us to this place. And this was really important. I believe God led us exactly to this place. But hear me. After we moved in, after we got established, our church grew and that was great. And then all of a sudden I looked around and I was like, hmm. Now, now what? For two years, two years, I've been asking the question, what am I supposed to be doing? I, I know, you're like, what? You, our pastor? You've been preaching every week. I know, I know. I mean, you're leading your staff. You're leading the church. You've got a thousand people. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> but inside of me, I'm like, I could sense God every single moment of the way in this whole process. And it was amazing. And, and then all of a sudden this building showed up and, and we got in this building. And then I was like, what's next? And I didn't really understand exactly what was next. And, and actually I felt like God may have forgotten to follow up on the next you know, few years of our ministry. I'm like, where'd you go? And then last week, in one day, literally... In one day, like three meetings. And it was as if God was saying, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you realize this or not, but I was always very much in control. And I mean, like the sovereign Lord says moments, like God showed up and said, Hey, are you ready? Hey, this is what I've been doing when you didn't even know it. This is how I've been working when you didn't even know it. And it was, it was, it was not a vision from God, and I'm not a prophet, okay? There wasn't revelation. There's not new inspiration, none of that stuff. I don't believe that I am anything special in terms of that. We're all priesthood of the believers. We're all Christians, and God speaks to all of us through the Spirit, and all of us have that same access. But it was as, as, as if God said, hey, I'm still sovereignly at work, and I cannot tell you how incredibly stirring it was. <laughs> and I'm about to tell you in a couple of weeks, or a couple of months, actually, what that is, and it is going to be huge. I can't. Oh, you can clap for that. That's great. You can absolutely clap for that. I wasn't expecting the clap, but thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> and here's what it revealed to me. 
that God very much is sovereignly involved in the raising of nations and in the bringing down of nations. And he's sovereignly actively involved in the details of human history in your life and mine. He hasn't forgotten about any of the details. And so here's what I want to do today. Here's a teaser and I'm done. The greatest mistake Edom makes is neglecting the reality that God is sovereign. They missed it. And it costs them everything. And so, this morning, here's what I want you to do. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.